Today's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation wakes with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is sin is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit help us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, the son, of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word. Thanks for reading scripture for us, Gemma. Good morning, church. Morning, church. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your faithful love to us through Jesus Christ. Your mercies indeed never end. We ask that as we hear your word this morning, that you help us know the grace of Jesus Christ more fully, that you help us love the gospel of Jesus Christ more dearly, and that you help us to follow our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ more closely. I pray that you have mercy on me this morning. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and use me this day for your purposes. In Christ's name and for your glory, I pray. Amen. My friends, maybe some of you woke up this morning to illness and chronic discomfort. You have seen the doctors, they prescribe medicines, and you still feel no better. They did the test, and you now wait for the evaluation amidst the pain. You battle thoughts of anxiety and fears. Your CG members tell you to trust God and that everything will be okay. But how can you wait with hope in the face of a failing body? Maybe some of you, before you slept last night, you had a sinking feeling of sadness. Maybe you have stood up for the gospel among your classmates in school and they have mocked you for the past few weeks. And now the bullying has moved to social media. And the last thing you read before you slept was a post that made fun of you. Your friends in your youth group assures you that things 
will get better. But how can you wait with hope in the face of emotional bullying and social rejection? How can we not only have hope, but also wait expectantly that things will get better in the midst of such real suffering? Maybe this apparent foolishness of hope in the midst of suffering resonates with some of us this morning. So when we read Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we are tempted to think that Paul has really made an outrageous statement. Really, Paul? The suffering of this present time, they are not worth comparing to the future glory that, has, that will be shown to us. The scale of suffering on this side of heaven is heavy. Just read the news this today and we really see how broken the world is. So how massively heavy has the glory to be to outweigh the suffering? And Paul answers this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 30. So let's turn to verse 18. Verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. My friends, just a quick reminder, we are in Romans chapter 8, and the theme of Romans chapter 8 is now that you trusted in the gospel, you can be assured that God is for us. Ian reminded us two weeks back that now we are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. And as Eugene preached last week, this Spirit, this Holy Spirit, leads us to grow in Christ's likeness by helping us to put to death the deeds of our sinful nature. And that through the Holy Spirit, believers, all of us, we have been adopted as God's children. And this passage ends with verse 17, which told us, uh, told us that as God's children, we are heirs to all of the gospel promises, all, every single one of them. And that one proof that we are God's children is our willingness to follow Christ in suffering for His sake. Wow. Why should we be willing to suffer for Christ's sake? I mean, we're talking to Singaporeans here. I'm a Singaporean. We like our comfort. We like our uh, atas coffee. We like uh, to, to, to spend things, just pamper ourselves. So the idea that if we are to follow Christ, we are to suffer. This is so counter-cultural to Singaporeans. To suffer when for most of us, comfort is what we seek and desire. Verse 18 tells us, because we hold to the reality that suffering right now cannot be compared to the future glory that will be revealed to us. And my friends, suffering in this present time is real. Suffering in and of itself is the consequences of the fall of man in Genesis 3. So suffering is bad. But, but God can use suffering to do something good. And in this context, from verse 17, this suffering comes from following Jesus Christ and suffering for the gospel's sake. But from verse 19 and following, this suffering can also refer to the sufferings we face in the fallen, broken world. Physical illness, social rejection, emotional pain. But all this suffering, as Scripture tells us, is light in comparison to the weight of the glory that is coming. A renewed creation 
and the resurrection and the receiving of our resurrection bodies. This glory is coming. But there is tension here between this present moment and the future, between what has some has called the ready and the not yet of God's kingdom, which we'll see played out in today's passage. What this means for us is that we have to continually count present sufferings as light compared to our hope of future glory. We have to consider the hope of our, spiritual, our spirit-mediated prayer in the, present, in the midst of our present weakness. And we have to hold to the hope of God's good purposes amidst our doubts. Remember what the Puritan Richard Sips reminds us, and I really love this imagery. The winter prepares the earth for the spring. So do afflictions, sanctified, prepare the soul for glory. Our present suffering prepares and intensifies our soul's hope for future glory. You know, I'll let you in on a personal secret. You know, I, I like looking at sunsets. I was at Butot Jetty a couple of weeks back, and at 7pm, you can show the picture, at 7pm, I was near the end of the jetty, looking west towards Marina Bay Sands and the Singapore skyline. And with my head raised, I fixed my eyes on the horizon as the sun sets. And there was a canvas of colours of orange, yellows, lavender, as the sun slowly set. You know, my friends, it was awesome and beautiful. And, and while I was looking around, I glanced around to see whether others around me were also catching this display, this glorious display of beauty. But the people present there, they were busy catching fish, and the couples there, they were too busy catching up with their dates to pay attention. Okay, they missed this amazing sunset on the horizon. Waiting expectantly with head raised and eyes fixed on the horizon. This is the image that the original word translated eager longing in verse 19 describes. This is what it means to keep you know, our eyes up, looking expectantly. And Paul then in verses 19 to 25 writes how both the non-human creation and human beings, we are we are all waiting with eager expectation on how God will reveal His glory. So why should we eagerly hope in the midst of suffering? It's because creation will be renewed and it will be glorious. So let's look at verses 19-22, which talks about God's creation. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of Him, because of God who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So what Paul is speaking here is speaking of the non-human creation, but here, he personalized creation, giving a human personality to creation in these verses. And creation is pictured as someone with their head raised, with their eyes fixed on the revealing of the sons of God. Revealing of the sons of God, what, what does this mean? This refers to the future time 
when Christ comes again, when we will receive as believers our glorious resurrection body. This is when we, as sons of God, will be revealed to all creation in our glory. And creation, creation waits eagerly for that time because right now it is subjected to fertility. This is the same word that is translated vanities in Ecclesiastes. Because of the fall in Genesis 3, God has cursed creation. This curse is due to sin, resulting in vapor-like meaninglessness and a creation where beauty is marred. But creation is waiting eagerly for the day when it will be free from its slavery to corruption and sin, when it will share in the freedom of the sons of God. On that day, all of us as believers now, in, on that day, we'll be in perfection, totally free from the presence of sin. We will have wise dominion and perfect stewardship over all of creation, ruling creation the way God had originally designed. But until that time, all creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Now, it's very interesting that Paul uses imagery of childbirth rather than saying the pains of suffering and death or death. And for mothers who have given birth, I wouldn't know, but I've spoken to some mothers, I hear that the pains of childbirth can be quite painful and excruciating, right? But what comes after that is the wonderful joy of receiving a child, receiving a son or a daughter. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in using this image. There is an end to this suffering and groaning. And when that end comes, you will usher in something better. A renewed creation that is amazingly beautiful and wonderful. My friends, can you imagine that? The sunset that takes your breath away. The mountain view that causes you to pause in awe. The view of the northern lights that prompts gratitude, that comes from seeing beauty in nature. They'll be amplified a hundred times, no, a thousand times, or maybe infinitely so, actually, when creation is renewed. So, my friends, when you spend time in God's creation, do not just walk on by. Look expectantly at the glimpses of grace and the shafts of glory in creation that reveals now in part the glory that we've fully seen when creation is renewed. Learn to walk and do life together as a church, reminding each other to live with our heads raised, with our eyes expectantly on the glory horizon, even as we see the glory in part right now. My friends, do we live with our heads raised eyes expectant, or are we focused on what we lack and on our own suffering? You know, many of us here at GBC, we seem to delight in taking holidays, we seem to relish in taking holidays. Maybe it's because we live on a little crowded island and we feel this need for a getaway. Think back on the last holiday you took. Maybe some of you took a holiday to a dream destination, okay? Think back on that. You got it? You have really made plans and confirmed your accommodations and plane tickets. Remember in the weeks prior to the trip, as you waited eagerly for it, okay? 
you're excited about it, you're waiting eagerly for it. And even when you have to put in extra hours to clear your work in your workplace, what do you do? You put up with the discomfort. It's fine, right? Because you know that something better is coming. Because you have a hope that you'll be going to a wonderful destination. You will patiently endure a little suffering right now for the sake of that coming experience. Perhaps a little taste of heaven on your dream trip. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about when he says, waiting eagerly and patiently for something wonderful in verses 23 to 25. Verses 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul here, he turns next to human beings. And he tells us, why should we eagerly hope in the midst of suffering? It's because, believers, we will be given resurrection bodies. And it will be glorious. So we can put up with suffering right now because of the hope of something wonderful that is coming. Paul tells us in verse 23, not only creation, but we as the church, comprising believers, we are also waiting. We have been given a down payment of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that now indwells us as believers. We groan inwardly. We groan because right now, we are under the pain of a world in sin. We groan because of the suffering of living in a world that is now broken. We groan because of the impact of our own and others' sin. We groan for God's deliverance. And this groaning is the groaning of, O come, Lord Jesus. We groan as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We long for full adoption and perfect redemption. At this point, some of you may ask, huh? Haven't we been adopted? Haven't we been redeemed when we trusted in Christ? The language used here is the language of the ready and not yet that I referred to earlier. While we have already been adopted into God's family, while we already have been redeemed from our sins, we await the not yet. The receiving of our full inheritance of our adoption, our perfect, sinless resurrection body. We will receive a body that is unmarked by sin, not scarred by the brokenness of this world. A perfect body. And this will come when Christ comes again. When we were saved from our sin, this is the promise, the promise of future glory, of receiving our resurrection bodies. We have this hope of the fulfilment of this promise. It's just that the full fulfilment will come at a future time. And at the present, many of us struggle to see it clearly. But what we are told to do is because of this certain hope, we are to hope and wait with patient endurance. My friends, as we live in the in-between times between the ready and the not yet, what is our heart posture? Are we willing to wait for this glorious hope with head raised and eyes looking to the glory horizon? Are we willing to forego temporary pleasures and wait for greater joy? Are we willing to endure present suffering for the hope of the glorious perfection to come? Are we willing to give up the deceiving taste of sin 
for the fulfilling banquet of future glory? Or are we in a state of dissatisfaction with God because we have not gotten what we want right now? And in the midst of our suffering, we somehow think that God owes us something. And this heart issue gives voice to our continuous complaints and growing bitterness towards God and how sometimes this spills even over, spills over to those around us. For those of us who struggle with it, remember, God has promised us good. But the good is not now, but it's coming soon in the future, very soon. And as a church community, Grace Baptist Church, let us learn to cultivate eager expectancy together. And this is actually what happens when we observe the Lord's Supper once a month. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again. And when He comes, we will receive our resurrection body. And in our songs, in the hymns we sing, in our conversations with one another, what do we talk about? What do we talk about? Just like our friends who just been baptized, I encourage all of us to share your conversion stories and testimonies with one another. And I encourage us to remind each other of the future glory that awaits believers, that one day, we who are God's children, we will receive glorious resurrection bodies and reign over renewed creation in the glorious presence of God forevermore. And by doing so, we will give one another's heart strength to endure discomfort and suffering. Now, I have a friend. Uh, he wears three hats. He works as a lawyer in the daytime. He helps pastor the church he belongs to as assistant lay pastor. And he runs an organization that does outreach to the poor and marginalized. So when I gather with him to, to talk and pray, I was like, wow, you're really doing a lot. And I say, why are you still working as a lawyer when, when you feel a call to serve God's people and to serve the marginalized? And he tells me this, the reason that he works as a lawyer is that it allows him to represent the poor who may not have a voice of their own. He intervenes and mediates on their behalf in the law courts. And I was thinking, wow, isn't this similar to what the Holy Spirit does for believers in verses 26 to 27? This verse tells us that the Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit intervenes and mediates on behalf of believers. Paul writes in verses 26 to 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what Paul is telling us here, for believers, besides the hope of future glory, he tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We have assurance, we have certainty that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And Paul is not talking about general weakness here. Because if we look at the second half of verse 26, Paul is referring to the weakness in our prayers. We often don't know how to pray in accord with God's will. And in the context of preceding verses, he's talking about not knowing what to pray for in the midst of suffering. My friends, if we honestly examine our prayers, especially when we're facing difficulties, 
what do we pray for? You know, I, I need to confess. Oftentimes, if I look at my own prayers, they comprise of give me prayers. God, give me this. God, give me relief from pain. God, remove this. We pray for relief from pain and comfort. You know, this is not long, wrong because God desires for His children to call out to Him. But as I challenge myself, I put this challenge to us as a church. Have we prayed, God, use these difficulties I'm facing to shape my character to be more like Jesus? Have we prayed that through our trials, God will help us maintain our Christian weakness or to give us opportunity to share the gospel, to share the gospel hope we have? But my friends, even as I share this and challenge us on this, do not be discouraged. For even if and when we do not know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit mediates for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you get that? It's not referring to speaking in tongues here. It's referring to an inexpressible speechless groan. And you can see this being referred to in verses 22 to 23, where, where Paul talked about creation and believers groaning. So what he tells us here is that the Spirit's groan are in accord with God's will. God who searches human heart knows the mind of the Spirit because whatever pray the Spirit prays on, prays on behalf of believers is in full accordance with God's will. And my friends, don't read these verses without knowing the wonder. Because what we see here, God prays to God mediating on behalf of of believers. It means this, we can have confidence because of this certainty that God listens to our prayers and answers our prayers for our good. So my friend, my friends, we can have confidence in our praying even when sometimes we are ashamed that what we say comprise more of mumbling words rather than eloquent speeches. Be encouraged, take heart. The Holy Spirit will mediate on our behalf and our prayers reaching God will be the very prayers we need to pray, the very prayers that God is pleased with. And if we have this kind of confidence in our prayers, do not be afraid to come together to pray with others in the church together. Come together as elders uh, uh, stand in front after service to pray together. Uh, as, we, we, as we leave, we go to the fellowship hall. If there's a need, just pray with one another. I encourage you to attend our prayer meeting. The next is on Friday, 26 July. And even if your prayers are just help me, help me, God, because sometimes that's all we can pray when we are struggling. Or thank you, thank you, God, when we're overwhelmed with gratitude. Do not worry. The Spirit intercedes for us and our prayers will be beautiful before God. In Pilgrim's Progress, this book, that is a classic book that is written in, I believe, the 17th century, John Bunyan writes that the pilgrims, Christian and hopeful, they were captured by the giant despair and suffered the misery of being in Doubting Castle. John Bunyan, he experienced doubts himself. Bunyan himself often experienced times of severe depression. He confessed in his conclusion of his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, and I, I rephrase this slightly in modern English, I have wondered much at this one thing, that though God visits my soul, giving me a blessed discovery of Himself, meaning there are times when John Bunyan is just filled with the presence of God, yet I found again in the hours afterwards 
that have been in my spirit so filled with darkness and doubts that I could not so much as at once bring to my God and His comfort and experience. It means that after he had all this wonderful experience, John Bunyan sometimes falls to doubts, falls to depression, and he can't even remember uh, what uh, it feels like, the comfort he has received. Bunyan himself suffered doubts, but he himself discovered the key to doubt because in his allegory, this little book in Pilgrim's Progress, the Pilgrim Christian eventually discovered that he had within his means the, the way to escape Doubting Castle all along. He had a key that would unlock and would open any lock in Doubting Castle. And this key represents the exceedingly great and precious promises of the gospel. Promises that are believers, in, that are ours in Christ. In the midst of, the, of our suffering, many of us believers we will face doubt. And when doubts come, what can we do? We can use the key. We, re- we can remember the exceedingly great and precious promises of the gospel. We can keep the hope of God doing, accomplishing His good purposes for us. And we see this in verses 28 to 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Paul encouraged believers who experienced doubts in the midst of sufferings. He tells us, for believers, God will work all things together for our good. But just what is this good? Is it the good we expect or want? This good is not defined by us. Verse 29 tells us clearly what this good is. is that believers be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That we grow to become more and more like Jesus. This is the good that God has purposed for us. That we grow in Christ-like maturity. And finally, when we receive our resurrection bodies, we'll be fully Christ-like. And this is where, you know, as a church, we sit in our church camp, we want to be intentional, intention, intentional about growing one another to Christ-likeness. If we truly care for our fellow believer, then our desire for him will be God's purposes for him. So we must care that he or she grows in Christ-likeness. We do not want him to merely be happy or comfortable. So what this means, my friends, as fellow church members, as church members who have entered into this loving uh, commitment and covenant with one another, we need to have relational courage to point him or her to Christ-likeness. For our goal for him or her is not his happiness, but his holiness. For holiness is God's purposes fulfilled. And holiness is, in, in holiness, he will find his greatest joy. So if we know someone in our church or in our CG who needs to address a sin issue or needs to grow in an area to become more like Christ, then I encourage you to speak the truth in love to him or her so that they may change, they may grow towards Christ-likeness and they may recover the joy that they have in Christ-likeness, the joy in Christ. 
Paul continues to tell the church that those God predestined, which means those that are determined ahead of time by God's will, He called to salvation. Those that God called, they will be justified. That is, declare righteous and be in a right relationship with God. God will then glorify them. That is, they will be fully conformed to the perfect image of Christ. But my friends, I don't want us to be caught up too much in the definition of these words or even the order in which they occur. But rather, notice the words. They are past tense in English. This means that they are something that have really definitely happened for believers. And notice, there is a definite end. Believers will be definitely called justified and glorified. And this is the wonderful hope that we who trusted in Jesus Christ have. This is the hope of God's good purposes that we can have in the midst of our doubts. God has planned good for us and He will definitely do it. My friends, because God assures us of our glorious hope in Christ, then we can wait expectantly that God will accomplish His will for our good. How massively heavy has the glory to be to outweigh our suffering? It is infinitely heavier. For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what? What now? This is the very hope, the gospel hope that our friends who have just, have been, who have just been baptized have placed their trust in. So for my non-Christian friends among us, you may, may be thinking, I too want this certainty. I too want this glorious hope. Our loving God has purposed good for you. God calls you to turn from your self-centered ways, to seek Him. And I urge you then to acknowledge your need, that you need Jesus Christ whom God has provided to pay for your sins and to bring you into a right relationship with Him. My friends, if this is what you desire, you can speak with or pray with any of the elders. We will be in front here after the service or right at the back doors after the service. If you just are interested in finding out more, feel free to talk to us as well. And I, if this is your desire, I encourage you to respond today. You can have too, you too, can have this assurance of this hope that we have in Christ. For believers who have begun to rest our standing before God or our standing in the church, partly on our moral uprightness, Bible knowledge or religious privileges, be warned. As author Christopher Ash reminds us, not only does resting our um, standing before God be, is, be, uh, is on our effort, this will make us boastful. When we do that, it will make us boastful and it will destroy unity in the church. It also undermines your assurance because if our security rests on our own efforts, then it rests on shaky, unstable ground. On the days that we're doing well, we feel that we have it together, we feel proud. On the days when we're not doing well, when we're suffering, facing difficulty, we feel insecure. And an insecure Christian is a dangerous Christian because if I'm insecure, it's the same for pastors. An insecure pastor is a dangerous pastor. Because if I feel insecure, I always feel that I have something to prove. So what will be my attitude towards fellow Christians? There will be an element of competitiveness, however discreet. 
and when we compete and want to have one up on one another, this will hinder unity in the church. And I know as a church, we want to reach out to those around us. Any evangelistic involvement, if any, by the church will never be the humility of one forgiven sinner telling another sinner where to find grace because we think that we achieve it on our own or, or we struggle with assurance and certainty and we don't want to share with others. We will struggle with reaching out to others. Remember, we have this certain assurance in Christ. We really, as believers, we have nothing to lose and nothing to prove because Christ has done it all for us. And for believers who struggle with doubts, I know some of us do, I'm, I'm no stranger to doubts and struggle. I empathize with you. This passage today offers us assurance. Today's passage offers us certainty and hope. So remind ourselves daily of the exceedingly great and precious promise of the gospel and learn to rest in it. Trust not in our efforts, but tr- rest in God who has done it all for us. Gather with others in church after service and your CG to remind one another gospel. Remind each other of the future glory that is to come. Picture together what Apostle John writes in Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Certain that this is our future hope. This is what John writes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. My friends, wait eagerly and patiently for this. Wait with our eyes raised looking towards this glory horizon even in the midst of your struggles and difficulties. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, that our eternal future is built upon Christ Jesus. I pray that we may hold unswervingly to the hope we have in Him, knowing that He who died on the cross to pay the price for my sins has brought me into God's family. He is faithful to complete the good work that He started in my life. May we never forget on whom our hope is founded, knowing that He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. May we stand firm on the confession of our faith and develop a living hope that stands fast in the day of trouble, knowing that in Him we can face all of this life troubles, all that this life throws at us. Our hope is indeed built on nothing less than the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Thank you for this living hope that we have in Him. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's all rise as we respond in this.